get seasick yet? <laughs> I want to welcome you to Arden first. If you are visiting with us today, you're a special guest. We want you to feel right at home. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And we believe that God has an extraordinary plan for each and every one of us. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter number 8. And if you didn't bring your Bible, we'll have the scripture on the screen. But I know looking around, there are certain people here today that you're in the middle of a storm. Some of you have faced the death of a loved one, and that still really troubles your soul. Some of you are in a sickness storm where someone close to you is sick, and it seems like they're not getting better. Some of you are in a storm of financial difficulty, maybe in a business or personal. There are so many storms that we go through in life. It's been said that you're either in a storm, you've just come out of a storm, or a storm is getting ready to hit you without you knowing it. So today, if you find yourself in the middle of a storm, I believe you're here by divine appointment because God has a word for you. In this passage, we're going to find Jesus and his disciples in the middle of a very severe storm. If you look at your listening guide, um, a little passage setting, this calming of the winds miracle is part of a a four-part series where Jesus has victory and authority over a variety of phenomenon. We're going to talk about his power over nature. Next week, we're going to talk about his power over demons, and then also his power over disease and death. And each of these stories will show that Jesus is Lord over all. He is indeed God in the flesh, the Son of God. So as we prepare our hearts for his word today, let us pray together. Father, we thank you that we have sang worship to you. And Lord, we want to look into your word. And Father, I know there's many here that are going through storms today. Lord, I know that their soul is troubled. I know their heart is weary. So Father, I pray that your spirit would speak truth to us. Father, where we've fallen short of you, forgive us and draw us closer to you. And Lord, we pray that your word would not just inform us, but it would transform us. Help us not to be simple hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. We love you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to Jesus and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. In Mark's parallel gospel, they said, don't you care? And then verse number 24 continues, Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they seized and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? In Mark's parallel gospel, Jesus says, why do you have no faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the water and the winds And they obey him. And God bless his word. So today we're going to talk about how to survive the storm. This is a message I think we all can relate to. And many of us find ourselves in the center of a storm. 
Maybe a storm of sickness, declining health. Someone you love in in your personal story is struggling. Their health is failing. So today I'm going to give you six storm survival tips from God's Word. These are things that you can carry with you. These are principles that will help you not just survive the storm, but will help you have peace in the midst of the storm. The first one is this. Understand that a storm often precedes progress. Often understand that a storm precedes progress. In verse 23, it says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. I don't have to ask anyone to raise their hand with this question, but how many of you want to stay where you're at? Most of us would say no, because life is, you're either going forward or you're moving backwards. I don't know of any time in life over a sustained period of time where you're just in coast mode, because you're either growing closer to God and making progress, or you're making regression. So whenever you face a storm, realize that you have to go through the storm often to progress. How many of you have flown this year an airplane? Raise your hand. All right, a lot of you have flown. What do you have to overcome in order to fly? The gravitational force pulling you down. And once you overcome the gravitational force, what happens? You soar to new heights. So we see in this scripture that Jesus and his disciples, they are tired. You remember the last week we, we saw where Mary and Jesus' brothers sought to get Jesus because they heard he hadn't had time to eat. That boy just keeps doing miracles and helping people. And Mama was upset because Jesus didn't eat. So you remember they, they try to get Jesus out of what he was doing. So Jesus is in this story telling his disciples, let's go to the other side. The idea is let's get some rest. And yes, there's going to be some ministry opportunities, but let's go to the other side for a little bit of rest. And we see that as they approach going to the other side, a storm hits. And I, I realize in life, many storms will hit. And whenever you launch out, as we see in the scripture, the storm hits. It reminds me of Joseph in the Bible. All of you who've been in church any period of time know about Joseph. How he had these great dreams and visions from God at the age of 17. And all of a sudden what happens to his brothers? They sell him. He was in a pit and then he gets sold as a slave. Okay, he's in Potiphar's house and things are going well. Potiphar's eyes, Potiphar's wife catches his eye and she likes Joseph. He's 17 and as I joke for the first service, he looks like an Abercrombie model. There's Joseph and there's Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife's like, Joseph's a lot better looking. And she tries to seduce, and Joseph says, no, I'm not going to do it. So what does she do? She falsely accuses Joseph. And he goes from the pit to the prison. In prison, he interprets two dreams of the chief butler and the chief baker. But guess what? They forgot about him. They didn't tell Pharaoh about Joseph. See, he's in prison. So from 17 till age 30, 13 years pass by. And we see that often a storm will precede progress. But after Joseph's many storms, what happens? He ends up before Pharaoh. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams about the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine. And he is elevated to second in command over Egypt. Storms often precede progress. So if you are looking to make progress in your life, I have to give you a little warning as your pastor. A storm is brewing. 
A storm will brew and a storm will hit you when you often least expect it. But I got good news for you. Number two, there's one storm secret. Storms actually prepare you for the other side. Next week, there's a little preview of next week. Jesus and his disciples are going to meet a man that is so demon-possessed, he goes by the name of a legion, which means there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of evil spirits in the sky. So if Jesus had not taken his disciples through the storm, would they have been ready to meet the most demonized man in the Bible? I mean, think about it. Storms prepare you for what's on the other side. I got a map of the Sea of Galilee here. And it's not very big. If you look at the scale there, at its widest point, it's just a few miles wide. In fact, I've got it written down in my notes. It's just a few miles wide. And it's like, it's, we would consider it by air terminology a lake. And if you notice all around the Sea of Galilee, there's mountainous regions. So if you look at your listening guide, basically what happens is the Sea of Galilee is near the Mediterranean Sea. And this cold air moves in through the mountains and almost through the valleys and it's almost like this flat funnel and it hits the warm water the warm air above the lake so when you have the cold mountain air rushing through to the valley and it hits the warm air of the sea of galilee what do you think is going to happen storms and it's basically 13 miles long and seven miles wide and it sits 686 feet below sea level so the highest mountain region above there is almost around 9,000 feet above sea level, and you have 686 feet below sea level. So you see the contrast, the cold mountain air and then the, the valley, and it hits the Sea of Galilee, and the storm arose. So notice in your text, it says that a great windstorm hit. It says, all of a sudden, as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, verse 23, and they were filling with water. And we're in jeopardy. And something that really encourages me from the scripture is that Jesus was right there. In fact, he sent them in the midst of a storm. And a lot of times when you turn on television and you listen to the Christian network, and there, there, you know, there's some good speakers, but then there's some speakers that say, you know, if you're following God, you'll always have health, wealth, and prosperity. I, last time I looked around, it ain't true. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that. So... Uh, the thing is, is when you follow God, sometimes life gets harder, not easier. And, you know, I have to say, sometimes pastors set people up for failure. They say, if you give your life to Jesus, he gives you peace, and he does. But then they don't tell you the other side. Sometimes you, you're in the middle of a storm, and sometimes life gets hard. So if you've been taught Christianity light, in other words, you believe and all these great things happen, and then hard things hit, you're like, were they telling me the truth at church? So I'm here to tell you the truth. Jesus said in John 16, I believe it was 33, in this world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But then he said, be of good cheer. What? I've overcome the world. So if you're taking notes, there's four reasons. This is not on your listening guide, but there's four main reasons why we face storms. The first one is we're in a fallen world. So the reason why storms happen often is we live in a fallen world. So isn't it funny why we're, we're, we think it's shocking that bad things are happening to us? You know, when people ask the question, why do bad things happen to what? Good people. The better question is, why are good things happening? If we live in a fallen world where Satan's temporarily the ruler, you know, he's, God's ultimately in charge, but Satan's the temporary ruler of this world, 
why are good things happening? The second reason is satanic attack. How many of you have ever experienced attack from the enemy where you knew it was spiritual warfare? I mean, it could be depression. It could be a cloud of darkness over you. It, it could be this on-out spiritual attack. Uh, you don't have to look at the news long to see that there is spiritual attack going on all over the world with shootings, with murders, with all this. And you're like, people ask, well, why are they doing this? Well, think about it. Satan is a murderer. And every murder is inspired by guess who? The, the, the father of murder, the father of lies. So we have a fallen world, number one. Number two, we have satanic attack. Number three, we don't like to talk about this, but sometimes we're in a storm because of our own poor choices. Did you know that sometimes you can make a storm come upon yourself by bad choices? You reap the consequences. But then there's a fourth reason, and this is the one we're talking about today, is sometimes storms happen because God allows them, shapes them, and even permits them in such a way that he's trying to teach you something. He's trying to shape you. It's a storm that shapes you. It's a storm that God sends in your path to grow and equip you. So this is a good illustration of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus sent them into the storm. Do you think Jesus knew the storm was coming? Absolutely. So sometimes God allows that to happen. It reminds me of the struggle. I read about the story of this little boy. Some of you may have heard this in, in science class. But this little boy came across this caterpillar, and he was so excited. It's kind of like my boys in the yard. They pick up bugs, and he just could not believe how amazing this caterpillar was. It was big and green and ugly and crawly, everything little boys love. So he asked his mom and says, can I keep this caterpillar? And his mom's like, well, as long as you put it in a jar and take good care of it, it's fine. So she got him one of those cork mason cannon jars and told him to get a stick because she said caterpillars love sticks and feed him leaves and green things so that he can eat and get really big and fat, you know, one of those big fat caterpillars. So he began to feed the caterpillar every day. And one day the caterpillar, as he was crawling up the twig, he started wigging out, acting really crazy, shaking. And the little boy ran to his mom and said, what's wrong with the caterpillar? He's shaking and his body's doing all this crazy stuff he's never done. And the mother explained about the process of a cocoon and metamorphosis. In a few days, he'll crawl in. You won't be able to see the caterpillar because he'll be in his cocoon. But a few days later, he'll come out and emerge as a beautiful butterfly. And son, I just got to warn you, when he's a butterfly, you got to take the lid off and let him fly away because that's what butterflies do. So one day as the boy was observing the caterpillar in the cocoon, it started shaking. And he saw a little hole come out of the cocoon. He's like, this is the moment I get to see the butterfly. But then the caterpillar didn't come out, and he was so worried. So he couldn't find his mom anywhere, so he ran and got a pair of scissors. And he started cutting open the cocoon, and the, the butterfly emerged. But instead of this beautiful butterfly, it was a butterfly with a, a, a full, plump body and shriveled up wings. See, what happens in the process of metamorphosis, the struggle forces all those fluids in that fat caterpillar to go out to the wings. And it makes the wings spread out and become full. The struggle is what makes the butterfly fly and what makes the butterfly beautiful. And the boy didn't realize that. So for the rest of its life, this butterfly had to walk around with the fat body and shriveled wings because it bypassed the struggle. And isn't that true of us? We want to bypass the struggle. We want to go through life with no problems, 
no challenges, no storms. But the last time I checked, and this is a reminder of eighth grade biology class, science class, whenever you have all sun and no rain, what happens to the landscape? It turns into desert. Thank you, all my school teachers here. It turns into desert. And the same is true of your life. We would never choose storms. We don't desire storms. But had it not been for the God-ordained storms in your life, most of us would not make any progress at all in a Christian journey. We would try to stay where we're at. So in your listening guide, I wrote down seven shocking surprises about storms. And these are things, if you're in the middle of a storm, I want you to take this home and look over it and encourage yourself through it. And by the way, these listening guides, I never have time to cover everything in them, but that's for your own use to take home and look over. But seven shocking benefits. Number one, storms provide clarity on what's really important in your life. Have you ever seen anybody get sick and all of a sudden they're thinking about death and eternity? And if they come out of that storm and they're not sick, they're more serious about life. I want to spend more time with the grandkids. I want to really focus on what's important. You know, I've been a pastor now uh, in ministry for almost going on my 21st year, just finished 20 years, and I've never seen anyone at their deathbed that said, I wish I'd have spent more time in the office. I've never met anyone that said, I wish I'd have made more money in my life. You know, most people say, I wish I'd invested in those people that really matter, the relationships, my family. Most people realize how short life is when they end up at the end of their life. But I'm here to tell you, storms help you realize it early on. Number two, storms inspire passionate praying from fearful disciples. Passionate praying from fearful disciples. In this text, the disciples are so fearful, and what do they do next? Master, master, they start praying. You ever notice that when you're going through a storm, you pray more than you normally do? When you get that doctor's report and you're sick, all of a sudden you're praying all the time. When that grandkid goes astray... Or your son or daughter struggling, you hit your knees more than ever before. Storms bring that out in you. Number three, the third benefit of a storm. Storms help you to realize the brevity of life. The scripture says, teach us to number our days, O Lord. We realize even if you live to be 110, that's still a short life. But this life's not all there is. We're living in view of eternity. Number four, storms blow off the rough edges off your character. Have you ever been through a really dark time in your life? And then about a year or two later, people said, man, you've changed. What what are they trying to say? They're trying to say there's something deeper about your character. You may have been prideful before, but now there's a humility you never had before. You may have been loving before, but now there's a depth of your love. Number five, storms provide a wake-up call when you're seeking happiness above holiness. You know, the whole American dream is to be happy. I would propose to you that's a shallow dream. Life's much more than happiness. Life is about depth, and life is about eternity. Life's about people. Happiness is all about me. But when you seek after holiness, you realize it's about God and others. Number six, storms help redirect your path when you feel lost at sea. I told the first service, and I I joke with my wife about this, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Both the people that we dated when we were single... If God had said yes to some people we wanted to marry, we would be in bad shape right now. (laughs) It's like, you know, thank you, God, that that did not work out. Because when you look at hindsight, it's 2020, right? So sometimes, this is to the singles out there, if a relationship breaks up, that may not be a bad thing. It may be a blessing in disguise. You may not realize it at the time, but 10 years from now, you'll look back and say, thank you, God. I didn't realize what I was getting ready to get myself into. 
And the same is true for us adults, a job that doesn't work out or situation. God is working behind the scenes that we're not even aware of. Number seven, storms are shaping you for what lies ahead. It wasn't the storm outside the boat that was the issue for the disciples. It was the storm inside their hearts. It was the lack of faith. It was the fear. So it's been said that humans are like tea bags. Your true colors come out when you're put in hot water. Feeling that to be true in your life? Whenever you're put in hot water, your true colors come out. On your listening guide, if you'll notice James 1, 2 through 4, these are some parallel references. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if, it's when. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. In other words, when bad things happen, don't be like, why is this happening to me? You live in a fallen world, friend. Bad things are going to happen. But when they do happen, guess what? Jesus is with you. Jesus is in the boat with you. Amen. Have any of you guys ever been to the Salvation Army, like thrift store or Salvation Army Church? Some of you have. Um, I'm finishing up my degree at Columbia International. One of their satellite locations is the Salvation Army headquarters in Atlanta. So we, we do school there for a week. And William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he found himself in London in the downtown area where there were so many people on the streets. There were people addicted to drugs. There were prostitutes. There were the poor. And he said the established church did not want to mess with the poor, the prostitutes, the drug addicts. So he said, whatever the established church is not going to do, we're going to reach. So his, his strategy was quite interesting. He did, his evangelism strategy was called the three S's. They were soup, soap, and salvation. Soup, soap, and salvation. So his strategy was this. For the hungry, I'm going to feed them with soup. For those that haven't had a shower in a few weeks, guess what? We're going to provide soap. And then once their bellies are full, once they've had a nice shower or whatever, I'm going to present the gospel to them. So his strategy was soup, soap, and salvation. And the rest of the story is history. He was able to impact thousands and thousands of life. But one thing you probably don't know about his story, as he was getting up in years, uh, William Booth started losing his eyesight. At one time he lost his eyesight completely and then regained it. But in his 80s, his eyesight left again. And he wasn't sure whether he could ever see again. And all of a sudden, his son, his name was Bramwell, he came with the bad news from the doctor. And he said, Daddy, I'm sorry to say, but the doctor said, you'll never regain your eyesight. And I want to read to you what William Booth said. He says, God knows best, Bramwell. I have done what I could for God and the people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God and the people without my eyes. What was he saying? In every season of life, in every storm, God's going to be glorified and he's going to use something. Now, this is just my sanctified speculation, but do you think God was preparing William Booth for heaven? Because if he still had his eyesight and he still had his full ability, would he, would he even want to leave this world? He had so much ministry to do, reaching thousands. And some of you at this church have taught me since I've been here, we've had a lot of deaths in the church and a lot of sickness. And my mentality was always... Why doesn't God just take people out when they're prime? You know, like before you go downhill, your, your mission's accomplished, you go straight to heaven. And some of you have taught me, so I'm listening to you. Some of you taught me that 
the declining process is for a reason. Number one, it gets you ready. Because if you're in perfect health, you'd want to stay on earth forever. But as your health declines, you start to long for the other side. You start to long for heaven. Because if you were always in good health, you would want to live here forever. And God's got better plans than here forever with the way the world is currently. Another thing that I never had thought about that you guys have taught me is it prepares the family. You ever had someone die quickly and you just weren't ready for it? It was like blindsided. But when someone's in a slow decline, it kind of gets the family ready. And the storms, we don't realize even declining health, they can be shaping not just us, but our family. And the good news about all that is whenever a Christian dies, we get promoted. So the Christian doesn't really get killed or die in a sense, but we get promoted. So from an eternal perspective, the good news is the older you get, the younger you are because you're getting closer to your glorified body. And everyone said, amen. (laughs) Number three. All right. I hope that was encouraging for someone today. Number three. When you are in a storm, make sure who's in your boat. (laughs) This is almost humorous in this text. Like, you know, Jesus is there in the boat and they are so anxious and so upset. Mark tells us Jesus is asleep at the, I believe it was the back of the boat, the helm of the boat on a pillow. So while the disciples are on all these problems, Jesus is on a, sleeping on a pillow. And just realize, without Jesus, you're not going to go anywhere in a life that's going to have any eternal significance. Without Jesus, you're not going to reach the other side. Without Jesus, you're going to sink. You're not going to swim. But with Jesus, last time I read my Bible, you can walk on water. Didn't Peter do that? With Jesus, you can do all things. So make sure that Jesus is with, your, with you in your boat. And the other side is a symbol, not just of what God has next, but the other side can be a symbolism of heaven. There's no way if, if, if the boat represents your life, if you want to make it to heaven the other side, you have to make sure Jesus is in your boat. Amen. Number four, the fourth storm survival tip. When your life seems out of control, Realize that Jesus is still in control. Look at verse 23. It says, But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. So here's the thing. We know at least four, up to seven of these men were professional fishermen. At least four were, as many as seven. So they had been on the Sea of Galilee. They had seen the waves. Um, In my research, I found the Sea of Galilee, the waves can get as high as 10 feet high. So you can you imagine a small little wooden fishing boat and a 10-foot wave coming in? So the disciples had been in storm, but this storm was worse than any they had ever been in because they were panicking. These experienced, rugged fishermen had never seen. This was like a perfect storm. So what do you do when you're in the perfect storm of life and it seems like God's nowhere to be found? Have you ever felt like God was asleep in your life? I've heard people say that when I pray, it seems like my prayers stick to the ceiling and God's is not hearing. Let me tell you something. Jesus is never sleeping on you. The scripture tells us God never sleeps nor slumber. Now, in his humanity, obviously, Jesus was taking a nap. And I, I like to say it like this. Jesus was sleeping, but he wasn't asleep. And you're like, well, what's the difference? Are they the same? Let me explain this. Maybe this will help you understand. Uh, and some of you, your husbands do this. My dad, 
I use him as an example, and I, I never ask for his permission because I can do that. I'm his son. But growing up, my dad, he would work like 56 hours a week, and he'd come home and be so tired. And he would sit in his chair, and all the kids would be like, Dad, sleeping. And instantly he would say, I am not asleep. I am resting my eyes. <laughs> okay, how many of you men have do that? <laughs> and see, the idea behind that, let's raise your hand. How many of your husbands do that? Raise it, okay. The idea behind it is I'm half asleep, but I'm still aware enough to know what's going on around me. And I kind of see that with Jesus. The Bible says he was asleep, so I, I believe he was asleep, but he was still aware of the situation. So even though it may seem like God's asleep on you, he's not. He's never asleep. He never gets tired. You know, God is with us always. Now, Jesus in his earthly body was tired. He was wore out, so he was asleep. But being God in the flesh, he was also aware of what was going on. So he is with us. And we have a lot of school teachers retired in this room. And we've said this before. The teacher is quiet when what? The student is taking the test. So here you have the perfect example where the students are in a test and Jesus is quiet. So just because God is quiet doesn't mean he's not with you or active. It just means he's testing you. In my study, I was reading from one of the commentators. I, I thought this was a good insight that one of the commentators brought out. Is typically whenever you fail a test, just like in school, God makes you take the test over again. So isn't it fitting that as you read the Gospels, the disciples have to go through the similar test again? There's another storm they have to face because they obviously failed this test. And Mark, Jesus said, you have no faith. Here, Jesus asked, where's your faith? Another question to ask you is, notice the scripture says they were filling with water. The boat was filling with water. Why did they wait till the very last possible moment to ask for Jesus to help them? Ever think about that? My wife and I were talking about this last night, and she said, aren't we like that? We wait to the last possible, last-ditch effort, and then we ask for God. Wouldn't it have been better for the disciples to wake up Jesus when the water just started coming in the boat versus it was filling? But you know what? We often wait, but I think we need to be more proactive instead of reactive. If you look at your listening guide, Proverbs twenty-seven twelve, this is one of my life verses I love. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. A simpleton or simple-minded person passes on and is punished. In other words, a lot of storms you can't see coming, but some storms you can. And why do you go head-on into something you know is going to be a bad situation? Take precaution. So talk to Jesus before it gets crazy. The disciples were facing a breaking point. But they didn't realize that right after the breaking point comes the breakthrough point. Right before their breakdown comes the breakthrough. And Jesus was getting ready to, to wake up and say, listen, I've got this. As long as I'm in your boat, you can trust in me. Amen. Number five. This is one of my favorite points. It takes just a moment. Just a moment. For everything to change in your situation. Verse 24. They came to him and awoke him saying. Master, master, we are perishing. And in Mark's gospel it says. Don't you care? Aren't you concerned? Have you ever felt like God didn't care about your situation? God didn't care about your storm? Something I want to recall in the book of Daniel. How in Daniel. 
went through everything he went through and got thrown in the lion's den and said that God had shut the, 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 louse, the mouse of the lions and they didn't eat Daniel. Later on in the book of Daniel, when his three friends got thrown in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happened? There was a fourth man. And something amazing about that story, he never left the fire. He's still there. So Jesus is with you in your storm. He has never left. He knows what you're going through. And I would like to remind the 12 apostles here, don't you remember John 3.16? I mean, did you forget that verse? For God so loved the world that what? Whoever believes in him shall not perish. As long as Jesus is in your boat, ultimately you will not perish. And the word perish, the idea is bad things may happen to you. People can even kill you, but you will not perish. It's not an eternal ruin. God will restore all things. For those of you who are Bible students in the room, many of you love um, studying the nuances. The word rebuked here, when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, it's the same Greek word of Jesus rebuking the demons. So some scholars have saw a connection there and said that there's a possibility that this storm could have been demonically inspired. In other words, Satan doesn't have all power, but he does have some power on this earth. And this could have been Satan's effort to kill Jesus. He's already did it when Jesus was two. You remember he tried to inspire Herod to kill all the children. This very well could have been Satan's effort to kill Jesus before his time. But obviously, Jesus said, knowing he'd take my life from me, I lay it down. So it's very possible that this could be demonically inspired. At the very least, this is a preview for next week. As the disciples reach the other side, they meet the most demonized man in the Bible. And do you think Satan wanted Jesus to end up on the other side? Because Satan knew, he doesn't know all things, but he knew if Jesus ends up on the other side where one of my prey is, Jesus will deliver him. So Satan was trying to hinder the work of the ministry. Number six, the size and scope of your storm is measured by your faith. In verse 25, Jesus said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying one to another, who can this be? For he commands the winds and the water and they obey him. So here's the idea. We've got to ask the question, why did Jesus ask where their faith was? Wouldn't, wouldn't you be a little fearful if you thought you were going to drown? Why did Jesus rebuke the disciples? I think it's a valid question. Three reasons for you. Number one, the disciples had seen Jesus already do many miracles. If you look at a harmony of the Gospels, these are just a few. Jesus had turned water into what? Wine. The nobleman's son was healed. The demonic in the synagogue who had the... The hand issue was healed. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Um, healing a leper. He healed a crippled man. He healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. You remember that in Luke. He healed a centurion servant who was about to die. And if that doesn't take the cake, Jesus raised someone from the dead. The, the widow's son at Nain. You remember he interrupted the funeral and raised the guy from the dead. So my, my question to the disciples is, what are you thinking? You've seen all these miracles if Jesus can raise someone from the dead, that seems a lot more challenging than getting the ocean to stop, right? But you know what? We would probably be in the same boat. We would probably doubt also. How many things has God done in your life over your lifetime and you've forgotten? Some of us have short-term memory 
in spiritual things. It's spiritual attention deficit disorder. You talk about kids who have ADD. Some of us have SADD, spiritual attention deficit disorder. We get so distracted and we forget what God has done. Ouch. But there's another reason. We've already said not only had they seen Jesus doing the miracles, but Jesus was with them in the boat. I mean, come on. If, if Jesus is there, you've got to trust him. And the same is true for you and I. If you're in a storm, we don't minimize the storm. The storm is real. But guess what? Jesus has control over your storm. And if he's in your boat, you don't have to panic. You don't have to fear. And a third thing that we haven't really emphasized, but in verse 22, Jesus gave them a promise. What did he say? Let us go to the other side. Jesus had already told them they're going to the other side, but they did not trust God's word. How many of us doubt God's word? Which, by the way, this is a little rabbit trail. I don't have a whole lot of time, but if you start in Genesis 3, the whole downfall of humanity was doubting God's word. Did God really say? And since then on, Satan's strategy is if you can doubt the Bible, if you believe the Bible is not fully true, completely true, without error, if you can doubt the Bible, you can doubt anything about God. But if you believe the Bible, then you believe everything about God. The Bible says, amen. So when you're listening, God, I want to call to your attention about the word of God. They had the powerful word. They had witnessed Christ's miracles. They saw the powerful word in action. They have the living word. Jesus Christ himself was with them. So the powerful word, the living word, but then they also had the spoken word. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. They had the promises of God. Did you know that your future and your eternity and your destiny is as bright as the promises of God? It's so true. Also, if you just look at the Old Testament, I have a few scriptures on the screen. You know, when you're in the storm, it's easy to forget God's word. But listen to Psalm 65, 7. You who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their ways, and the tumult of the peoples. In other words, God, you still it. All right, Psalm 89, 9. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. That wasn't enough for you. Psalm 107, 28. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And notice, he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper. And he stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness. And he brought them safely into harbors. You see, you even have the Old Testament. That, you know, if you believe the God word, it's going to happen. So what was the after effect of the storm? They were in the boat to the other side. They were seeking a little rest. A storm comes. You ever notice when you're seeking rest, sometimes it gets worse? Like, sometimes I feel like I'm drowning and here comes another issue. And it's like, oh, and you just got to keep going. But all of a sudden, Jesus says, peace be still. He rebukes the wind and the wave and there, there's the calm. And if you look at the text, their fear in the storm turns into faith for the Savior. Their fear of the storm turns into faith of the Savior. They were in awe. Look, who can, who can this be? Their mystery turned into marvel. Like they were just in awe. And isn't that the part of worshiping? What Jesus does is awe-inspiring. And their circumstance turned into providence. Whenever you look back on your life, and uh, Brother Dennis and I were talking in the first service, whenever you look back on your life, you realize it's 2020. All these circumstances that you thought you were going through was actually providence in disguise. God was working behind the scene in your storm. Many of you have heard of David Livingston. 
He was a famous missionary, and he had spent 33 years in Africa. And we don't have time to go into all his life story, but he had went through so much suffering, so many issues in his life that people saw him as like a champion of, of suffering for Christ. And I want to read to you just an excerpt to what he said about his suffering. He says, people talk of the sacrifice I have made spending so much of my life in Africa. Can it be called a sacrifice, which is simply paying back a small part of the great debt owing to a God which can never be repaid? It is empathetically no sacrifice. Rather, it's a privilege. He says, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now, and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and the charities of this life, may make us pause and cause our spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. Now listen to this phrase. All these things are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be hereafter, be revealed in us. I never made a sacrifice. And that really blows me away. He's 33 years suffering, doing all this. And he said it wasn't a sacrifice. It was a privilege. And we have all of eternity to experience God's beauty and his glory, which makes any amount of suffering seem very small in comparison. Amen. So today, are you in a storm? Have you just got out of a storm? Or is a storm getting ready to stare you in the face? Well, may you take these six truths with you. Number one. Understand that a storm often precedes progress. If you're going forward, there usually is a storm. Paul says we go from glory to glory. One thing to realize, between levels of glory is usually a storm. One storm's secret, storms actually prepare you for the other side. If you're in a storm, this is what I shared with the first service, and I hope this speaks to you. If you're in a storm that's really big, and it wasn't a storm you brought on yourself, it was a storm you're following Jesus and life's happening. Often the size of your storm, there's a correlation with the size of the blessing on the other side. So if your storm is really big and you didn't bring it on yourself, you're following Jesus, the storm's really big. On the other side is a big opportunity to do something great for God. When you are in a storm, make sure who's in your boat? Jesus is in your boat. When your life seems out of control, realize that God, that Jesus is still in control. Think about my dad. I'm not sleeping. My eyes are just shut. He's he's, he's awake. Number five, it takes just a moment for everything to change in your situation. Some of you are just one minute away from a miracle. The storm is heating up, but if you'll just hang in there, eventually you'll hear the words, peace be still. And the size and scope of your storm is measured by your faith in Jesus. If you have a big view of God, you'll have a small view of your storm. If you have a small view of God, you'll have a big view of your storm. So keep your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. If I could summarize this in one sentence, sermon in a sentence, hope floats as long as Jesus is in your boat. So realize you can trust in him. Let us pray. Dear God, I know there's many here today. Even as I think about the people in this congregation, there's many who have experienced the death of a spouse. There are many who are experiencing someone in their family that's in a major decline, whether it be a spouse, a brother or sister, a father or mother. And they find themselves in a storm. And Jesus, I'm reminded that as long as you're in our boat, we don't have to fear. The storm is real. We don't minimize what we're going through, but we maximize that God's in control. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. 
So right now as we're praying, with no one looking around, if you're going through a storm, just lift up your head towards your hands towards heaven. Just lift up a hand and say, Jesus, just in your heart, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help me. Jesus, deliver me. Help me learn what you're trying to teach me. Shape me through this storm. Jesus, you, you hear the hearts. You see the hands. As the believers continue to pray, there may be someone today that as you look at your life, you realize that Jesus really has never been in your boat. You've never invited him into your life as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus doesn't just magically appear in your boat. You have to invite him. And the Bible calls this being a follower of Christ, being born again. So if you've never prayed to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, right where you're sitting, to say this, Jesus, I need you in my boat. I need you for the problems of this life. And I need you to take me to the other side. I want to be with you forever. And Jesus, I realize I have to turn from my sin. And I pray you forgive me. I don't want to be just a better person. I want to be forgiven. I want to be a new person. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. You were buried and you rose on the third day. And I give my life to you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, see us through the storm. As oceans rise, help us know that your spirit calls us, the Holy Spirit calls us, and tells us to walk, keep going, and not to give up. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. This time our ushers are going to come forward. And we're going to have a special time of response. And we're going to do things a little different. Miss Madison's going to sing. And as the offerings take place, you can respond in worship and giving. And Adam and I are going to, are going to be in the back. And if you guys need prayer as this song is played, we'll be in the back to pray with you. If you're going through a storm, uh, there's a little reception area in the back that we can pray with you in private and meet with you. So as, as the music plays in just a moment, respond through giving. And if you need special prayer, Adam and I will be in the back to, to pray for you. So let us pray.